This is a Federal News Network podcast. Now that the Veterans Benefits Administration has started delivering disability payments to service members exposed to burn pits, everything's hunky-dory, right? Well, not quite, according to my next guest, whose organization is helping represent veterans with those claims. Here's the executive director of the National Veterans Legal Services Program, Bart Stitchman. Bart, good to have you back. Thanks for having me, Tom. And this has been a long battle of lobbying and of the veterans organizations trying to get this benefit for those exposed to the burn pits. And is the situation now resolved? The benefit is legal and they're processing claims. Well, it's only just begun, Tom. What the VA has done for the first time is recognize that there are three different types of respiratory conditions that are connected to the toxic fumes from burn pits in Iraq and Afghanistan and Southwest Asia, and rhinitis, sinusitis, and asthma. So veterans who contracted those diseases within 10 years of leaving Southwest Asia can get benefits. But those are only a few of the diseases that science shows are connected to the toxic fumes. And so that's why there are bills pending in Congress on both the House and Senate side to add a lot more diseases to the list of those that are presumed connected to burn pits. And what are some of those other ailments? A lot of them are respiratory conditions. Chronic bronchitis, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, bronchiolitis, but there are also cancers, respiratory cancers. Uh, We're representing now a veteran who developed kidney cancer that scientists say is connected to the exposure. And the bills list sometimes up to 20 diseases that there, if passed, would require the VA to pay compensation for, for somebody who served in Southwest Asia. And these are, as they stand now, for the three respiratory areas, the asthma, the rhinitis, the sinusitis, are presumed to be an ailment related to the burn pits if you have them within those 10 years. So all you have to do is basically walk in and sign up, or do you find that there's still some work to do? It's much easier, but there's still work to do. You have to actually have a diagnosis, and the VA will give you a medical exam of one of those three diseases, and then the record needs to show that you either were diagnosed within 10 years or you had symptoms which eventually were diagnosed with one of those three diseases within 10 years of discharge. And are you helping veterans through this process? Do you find that they, some of them at least, need some assistance to get through the process? Absolutely. We recently opened the the Burn Pits Claims Assistance Program and our organization, National Veterans Legal Services Program, Those exposed to burn pits can apply for free representation at www.nvlsp.org. And veterans, we're accepting cases not just for veterans who have one of those three diseases we've talked about, but other diseases, because we can try to win with using a medical expert who will say that in his or her expert opinion, that they believe the veteran's kidney disease or whatever it is, is connected to the toxic fumes from burn pits. And if the VA adjudicator says no, what is the recourse? The recourse is to appeal further in the VA system 
to the Board of Veterans' Appeals, and eventually to the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans' Claims, which has the power to overturn the decision. If the weight of the evidence is strongly against what the VA found, then that can be overturned by the Veterans' Court. We're speaking with Bart Stitchman. He's executive director of the National Veterans Legal Services Program. And looking at the backlogs that were at VBA, and they wax and wane over the years, is it your sense that the backlogs for the disability appeals claims, which were really getting out of hand for a while there, are under control now by VBA? Much more under control. The problem is not solved. They're still behind, but it's not as extreme as it was before, partly because Congress in 2017 amended the system. It created a more streamlined system that made it easier for the VA to more quickly decide claims. And with respect to the burn pits, these cover the Gulf War back during the first Bush administration, as well as Afghanistan and Iraq. Where is your sense that most of the claims are coming from? Which wars? More coming from because of more troops from Operation OIF and OEF, um, Iraq and Afghanistan from 9-11 on. Right, because those went on for 15, 20 years. Exactly. And is the military still doing burn pits? Have you watched upstream to see if they're even operating those kinds of uh, measures anymore? There's a big push to get them to ban them altogether. I don't know what the current status is, but there's a lot of pressure on not using that anymore. You can build incinerators that would solve the problem. All right. And while we have you, you have also launched a new class action suit that was just certified, and you've got some pro bono counsel from a big law firm helping here with the wrongful denial of military disability retirement from the DOD side. What is going on? Why is that suit launched? Well, there's a long-term problem with the military trying to avoid the costs of war for military disability retirement benefits. So you can get those benefits. If the military sees that you have a disability while you're in service and you're unfit for continued service, then it runs you through a process to decide either whether you should get military disability retirement or a lesser benefit, military separation. And military disability retirement is a great program. You not only get monthly disability payments, but you get TRICARE, the military health care program, entitlement for the rest of the veteran's life, the rest of the spouse's life, and the children while they're minors. And too often the military's leaning to not giving military disability retirement, uh, but instead giving the lesser benefit, even though you should be entitled to military disability retirement. So that is what this case is about. The Navy and Marine Corps for two years had a policy that they will only consider the medical conditions that are on a particular form to decide whether you are unfit for continued service, number one, and number two, whether your disability ratings combined for your unfitting conditions are 30% or more. And so they're obviously the more conditions that are unfitting get you a much better chance to reach the 30% combined disability rating, which is the cutoff you need to make for military disability retirement. So instead of analyzing six 
diseases or injuries and combining the disability ratings for them to make it easier to get to 30%, what the Navy and Marine Corps were doing is saying only the two or whatever number some board put on a form will be considered. That's the properly referred policy, in other words. Exactly. The properly referred policy, if it's on the form, we'll consider it. Even though you complained about five other diseases or injuries, if it's not on the form, we won't consider it. That's what the challenge is. And recently, on October 27th, the U.S. District Court certified that case as a class action. The Navy and Marine Corps admit that there are over 3,600 people who fit the definition of the class and could benefit. We think it's thousands more, but we'll see as the case goes on. And this will probably take some time then. It's just the beginning of the battle, it sounds like. That's true. We're partway through. The first question is, should this be a class action? But the next question is going to be, is the policy illegal in the first place? And that's the battle to come. Bart Stitchman is executive director of the National Veterans Legal Services Program. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. Good to talk to you. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. 
but that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. 
she turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.